la 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 very pretty hello hello there this is you the people. kate and vince gelsa podcast episode 17 one seven Ten plus seven equals seventeen. That is math. And as we uh, we mentioned towards the end of our last podcast, we have a, a treat for you on this edition of the Kate and Vin Skelsa podcast, which is that we're going to play back an idiot's delight that occurred on uh, W. WNEWFM, my second time around at WNEWFM in the year 2000. So it was the last year that I was at uh, on commercial radio because at the end of the year, 2000, uh, New Year's Eve into 2001 was my last show on NEWFM. And then a few weeks later, I was on uh, FUV back on. Uh, Non-commercial radio. So this took place on Sunday night, May 21st. Odetta, of course, is uh, uh, one of the great performers who came out of um, both the gospel tradition and the theater tradition. She was um, um, an actress and performed in um, musicals and uh, was part of a whole kind of... um, a boho society group of people that included folk singers and poets and actors and blues musicians. And she had just released uh, a new album of uh, her interpretations of some classic old blues songs. And you will get some live performance uh, on this, uh, on this recording. She had her pianist, uh, with her in the studio. And so um, while I have truncated whatever recorded music, um, because we can't, we don't, we don't pay the rights to play entire recordings of released music, but we can play entire live performances of music which is weird, but nevertheless... Well, no one's gotten mad about it yet. Yeah, no, no, no one <laughs> will. We have we have the ability to do that because um, that's not covered by the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Right. Live performances are not covered and the playing back of recordings of live performances. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast uh, in the first place is because you have these tapes of these there are online archives of uh certain listeners have kept archives of many of your shows but to have a way for people to download and listen to selected interviews and live performances of tapes that are just literally sitting in our basement in Mm -hmm. your basement at Mm -hmm. your house yeah it seems a waste to not make them as available as possible to people especially for someone like this who's just such an incredible, yeah, real um, one of a person. kind person. Yeah, and I remember so, um, so specifically the the big memorial that was held for her. She died in in early December two thousand and eight, and then in early January, four or five weeks later, they had a big memorial uptown at the Riverside 
Memorial um, Chapel or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. church, whatever, mm-hmm. Riverside. Is that the right name yeah, for it? Chapel. R- Riverside right. Memorial. You know, the, thousands of people came out for it. And I remember um, specifically, well, remember how last week at the end I talked about links in a chain? Yeah. One of the great links in the chain in folk music is Pete Seeger. Right. Right. And I remember Pete, Pete's entrance through a side door that night. It was a freezing, bitter, cold January night. And Riverside Memorial Chapel, Memorial Chapel is up off the, off the Hudson River, right up by Grant's Tomb, that part of, of the west side of, of Manhattan. So it was, it was colder because the wind was blowing in off that river, you know. And uh, there were a group of us huddled behind this door on the opposite end from where the main uh, crowd was gathering to enter. And everybody was just like freezing and trying to huddle and stay warm and and hoping that they were going to open the doors soon. And I was with this other group of people who were trying to, you know, finagle some kind of backstage pass or something. And a door opened and Pete Seeger came in all by himself. Now, he was in his 80s at that point, I guess, He with his guitar slung over his shoulder with that that hat on that knit cap that he wore at uh, Obama's in, inauguration the first inauguration um and there was nobody with him no no driver no no roadie no helper no nothing it was just Pete and he goes, oh, must be in the right place. Hi, everybody, you know. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, my God, it's Pete Seeger. And he's so alone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, he was one of the high points of the night. When and they had been friends? They were Oh, yeah. Oh, they, they had uh, uh, marched together, uh, civil rights marches going back to the, the 60s and performed together at various concerts over the years and fundraising things so they were they were you know very close friends and uh it was inconceivable that he wouldn't be there for her memorial but this goes back to uh as i said may 21st 2000 so um you know eight years earlier when she was still uh in her prime sure idiot's delight on Sunday night on WNEW-FM, you may hear Kara Manning, my producer at the time, from time to time in the background, my visit with Odetta. And I should explain that the first voice you'll hear is a recording of the great Fred Neal. Anyway. Now, it may seem kind of strange to welcome a guest with a farewell song, <laughs> with a song with a song all about uh, leaving, but I thought that would be an appropriate way 
to begin our visit tonight with uh, one of the great figures in American folk music and uh, American blues. And let's not, uh, let's not just limit it to music. One of the great figures in American culture in uh, the 20th century. And, and I mean that with all of my heart and soul. Oh, bless you. I am somebody who um, learned a lot from you. When I met you this evening and shook your hand, I said that I'm a fan, but fan didn't seem like a strong enough word to express how I feel about what you've given me and given so many people over the years, because you've been a teacher and an inspiration as well. So this is a very exciting thing for me tonight. And to have I here. think my reply was, thank you so very much, and it makes me feel beyond luxury tax. <laughs> beyond luxury tax. Does, does that mean you get called to, necessary? Yes, I think. <laughs> yes. Do you get to pass go and collect two hundred dollars? I don't know. I <laughs> the great Odetta is with me tonight here on Idiot's Delight. Fare thee well, Fred's tune. Why do you call this Idiot's Delight? The show is called Idiot's Delight. Well, Idiot's Delight is a form of solitaire. It's one of the many forms of the card game solitaire. Yeah. And uh, years ago, there was a play uh, by a man named Robert Sherwood. Uh, that oh. Clark Gable and Norma Shearer were in the movie version of. Yes. It was about a troop, a traveling uh, uh, troop of, of vaudeville women traveling through Europe yes. on, the, uh, on the verge of World War II. So uh-huh. while it was ostensibly a comedy, there were all these sort of dark oh, uh, undertones. Moments. Yes, yes, indeed, yeah. yes. And uh, one day I was walking along the beach down on the Jersey Shore. Uh-huh thinking about how I should have a name for the show. This was years and years and years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, I was just inspired. I thought of the phrase, Idiot's Delight. I was thinking about the movie. Maybe I had just seen it or something. And uh-huh. I thought, this is a great name for a radio show. Right. Idiot's Delight. Because there's a, there's a kind of a gentle, um, humorous, uh, sometimes silliness to the show. But All right. underlining it, there's always uh, uh, okay. a kind of a serious okay. thing. Okay. You know? All right. So. But, that's, but it's a card game also. And I always think of radio as being a sort of a solitaire an individual um, sitting behind a microphone playing music for people. Or well, actually, people. you really are quite magic. I mean, to sit in front of a microphone and and talk to us, uh, listening to you, uh, as if there is some kind of response going on. I mean, I mean that is a hard gig. <laughs> uh, congratulations! Ah. All right. Yes. Okay. Yes. You're lone. You're you're lone ranger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, these days, especially with this kind of uh, with this kind of radio, which is a sort of a free form affair in which I can play lots of different kinds of music, and mm. I I pick the music that I want to play. I mean, I'm the one who uh, uh, brings my enthusiasm and my interest to the show. And uh, there isn't an much, endangered species. Yeah, there, there, there isn't much of that left in commercial radio anymore. <laughs> right. um, I played something from your new album, this album called Blues Everywhere I Go, a song mm-hmm. called Dink's Blues, yeah. which was written by a man named Dink Johnson. And then I played this song by Fred Neal called Fare Thee Well, parentheses, Fred's Tune. It's essentially the same song. It's the same song. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, now you, your ears perked up when you heard Fred Neal just now. Cause well, you, I adore that man. Now, do you know anything about where he is now? Uh, in Florida. He is in Florida. Yeah. He was he originally in, from Florida. And uh, he would come to New York when he got uh, sick and tired of Florida. And he would perform uh, uh, in, in the village and then when he got sick of tired of New York, he would go back to Florida. Yeah. So he was always, you know, kind of in between the two. Let me just jump in here and note that Fred Neal died 
about a year or so after we made this recording. This was made in May of 2000, and Fred Neal died on July 7th, 2001. And Fred Neal, for those of you who don't know him, was the man who wrote Everybody's Talking. Uh, he wrote The Dolphins. He wrote That's the Bag I'm In. He was uh, quite a wonderful songwriter, as well as a bluesy, soulful singer and a guitarist of note back in the folk scene in the 60s. Okay, back to Odetta. Now, this man has a voice that I feel could not be captured by recording equipment, the same as I felt that all of Paul Robeson's voice could not be captured by recording equipment. There are just levels and areas there that are just incredible sounding. Mm. You do get a sense of it on his, uh, on his records, um, um, but it, it is... Uh, to live is to hear him live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, when he, when he goes down, especially down into that low register, there's a kind of a, there's a, kind of a silkiness. There's a kind of mm-hmm. smoothness to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in many respects comparable to, uh, to your vocal style as well. You know? uh, do you feel that you are captured properly on recording? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I sound. Yeah. As I, and I listen to records that I've made... And I still don't know how I sound. Mm. What can I tell you? <laughs> Good morning, Captain. Good morning, son. Good morning, Captain. Good morning, son. Indeed. Well, that's Odetta from the early album Odetta Sings Ballads and Blues, 1956, her version of Mule Skinner Blues. Odetta is with me tonight. You were born down south. Birmingham, Alabama. But raised in California. Los Angeles. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. How old were you when you moved to Los Angeles? Uh, six years old. So mm-hmm. we went through school, my sister and I, um, from uh, all the way through school in Los Angeles. However... Um, in Alabama, they had signs, colors and whites, mm. and but they d- didn't s- somehow they didn't need to have signs out west and up north. We know, we knew where we should and shouldn't go. So you experienced yeah. that even in in Los Angeles. Well, even, it's through the country. Yeah, yeah. It's always through yeah. the country. So, so you've you've witnessed enormous changes in your lifetime. 
in uh, in terms of uh, race relations in in this country, and yet certain things have not changed at all since the well, day you were born. Well, I've seen change, and then I've seen uh, backward movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. I've seen both of them. When yeah. you were, we can talk about that a little bit. But I'm, okay. I'm sort of in, intrigued about your your childhood now, growing up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Was there a lot of music in the house? Well, no, I was growing up at the end of the big band era. You were born in 1930. I was born in 1930. All right, so as a child, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, mm-hmm. you're right. You're in the late 30s, early mm-hmm. 40s now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so big band And era. Daddy would take us to uh, each week to the Black Theater, and we would hear uh, Duke Ellington, um, Count Basie, Jimmy Rushing. We, we had all that music going on, and on the radio... We had the classical music station. We had uh, the Metropolitan Opera oh, on, Saturday, on, Saturday on Saturday afternoons. afternoons. Yes, right. And we had the Grand Ole Opry <laughs> uh-huh. uh, on Saturday evenings. And then we had uh, the spirituals and gospel. And uh, we had all kinds of music. As a matter of fact, there are times I say, it's, it's no wonder I'm somewhere half decent because I had wonderful music put into me, including the classical pop ballads. Mm. Some wonderful writers and poets coming out of that time. What do you mean by the the classical pop ballads? You mean Cole Porter and Gershwin and those people, or do you mean semi yeah, light? Yeah, exactly. You mean that American songbook. Yeah, that absolutely, they call it now. absolutely, yeah, yes. Yeah. And how about Tin tr- Pan Alley? Right. I guess they call it. Right. Yeah. And how about church music? Was that an important part of your childhood as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We went to church every yeah. Sunday. Yeah. We were uh, Baptists. And so, and as a matter of fact, I didn't believe the people in church because I saw them being too mean to each other. And I didn't believe them until the music started. When the music started, I believed them. Because that's when the, the spirit came in. Yeah, and the meanness dissipated, do you think? Well, uh, they they were too busy with the spirit uh, to be mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Down in New Orleans every year, they have this big festival, this jazz fest. Oh, have, yes. yeah. Have you been to jazz fest? Oh, yes. Right. So then I, I imagine you've spent some time in the gospel tent at, at jazz fest. Uh, yes, whenever I could. You know, the terrible thing about festivals is that you have four or five areas mm-hmm. of performance and you want to see at least three of them but you can't right, you, right. it's it's a it's a terrible place for for those of us who are greedy to hear everything <laughs> and then and then to move from one stage to another in new orleans you have to move through all of those food courts with all that uh, extraordinary which, which, food uh, which uh, uh yes slows down the prog- uh, progression <laughs> <laughs> but the gospel tent i've the first time i went down there i wandered into the gospel tent simply to get out of the sun mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i must have spent another 4 hours out of the captured, sun in the were captured you? yeah captured. Just the most extraordinary mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. I played the album version of Dink's Blues. Mm-hmm. Tell about that, the man who wrote that song, Dink Watson. I don't really know much about him, but he must have been quite a popular because there have been jazz uh, uh, renditions of this Dink's Blues, and I wondered what did he do to accrue this popularity, mm. whatever it was. It's a gorgeous melody. I'd love to sing it for you if you don't mind. Oh, no, I don't mind. <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, I want you to know that this is Seth Farber, who at times is like a magic carpet for me. 
uh, on the piano. Seth, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> You know, uh, it seems to me, when I think about this song, I am saying fairly well to someone that I love dearly, but I can't stay with that person. It's like um, oil and water. I guess all of us have had those experiences. And we hate to go, but it, we have to go in order to preserve ourselves. If I had wings Like a Noah's dove I'd fly across the river To the one I love And there was Woke up this morning It was drizzling rain Around my heart I felt an aching pain And Like a 
Bravo, Mr. Farber. Oh, bravo, Ms. Odetta. Oh, that's that's beautiful. What an extraordinary voice you have. It's, Thank you. I was blessed. I'm so excited to have you in the room with me tonight. Thank you. Um, as a child, you became interested in in classical music. That was a, a that was a, a an early goal of yours, was it not? If I read your biography correctly, you were influenced by some of the great classical vocalists of, of the day. Oh, I lo- I loved uh, classical music, and that was one of the stations we had to listen to. Right. And in grammar school, I guess I was around eleven. A teacher discovered I had a, a voice that maybe could be trained uh, for classical. And uh, my mother uh, saved some pennies to, and to, in order to give me voice lessons. And we went to a teacher, and they suggested that maybe uh, she should wait until I was 13 because the little girls and little boys' uh, bodies are changing. Uh-huh, and 13, right. right? So at the age of 13, I I got serious, and my m- mother found a way to afford voice lessons until she couldn't anymore. And she worked in housekeeping as at the uh, Turnabout Theater in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And when she couldn't pay for my lessons anymore, uh, she talked to the boys at the um, Turnabout Theater and Harry Burnett, who was uh, the puppeteer, then started sponsoring my voice lessons until really? I got out of yeah. high school. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even think that I would be doing opera, because I mean, even I may have been slow and backward, but even I knew that uh, black people didn't were not taken into opera. You know what I mean? Not until uh, Marian Anderson almost got to the point of retiring did they even invite her into the Metropolitan Opera mm. uh, to sing uh, Aida, you know, mm-hmm. the typecasting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And how many of our uh, uh, classical voice persons have gone over to Europe, not, not just black, but white as well, and to, in order to get discovered? 
so that they could come back come here back and here. do yeah. opera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something then that has changed radically in the course of your lifetime, the fact that... Yes, uh, that has. Yes, uh, it has. That black vocalists in the operatic world have uh, an equal, if not sometimes even more than an equal opportunity because they have such extraordinary voices for these roles. Well, um, they've always had extraordinary Yeah, yeah right. Voices. No, but but now that now that's opened up... And, yeah, and it is the, opened up. The yeah. politics of it has changed. Yeah. What was the, the story about um, uh, Marion? where she was, Marian Anderson, where she was not allowed to sing in Washington. Was it a Constitution A hall? Constitution Hall. Yeah, I mean, a very, very famous black mark in the history of... Of, of the country. Yeah. Um, it was, the Constitution Hall was owned by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Right. And the hall was rented, and then when they heard that a black woman was going to sing there, they said, no, no, no. That's not it. Eleanor Roosevelt, who is one of uh, the heroes in this country, sheroes in this country, uh, heard about it and arranged for her to sing on the steps in front of the Lincoln Memorial uh, as, as a protest and to bring attention to it. Now, oddly enough, in my life, I was given uh, an award uh, of uh, achievement from the government and uh, the president and uh, his lady presented it to me and where was it presented? In Constitution Hall. Uh, yes. This of course was the National Medal of the Arts and Humanities. Yes. Uh, which was presented to you by President Clinton a year ago or two years ago? Was it 98 or 99? 99. 99 I think. In early 99. I don't um, know where all these awards are coming from. Uh, well, do you mind getting them? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, <laughs> do you have a place to put them? Yes, we still have room. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, good. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. It's true. Coming of the Lord, he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. One of the touchstones of the folk movement and certainly the civil rights movement as well. Odetta singing the battle hymn of the Republic. You did some theater singing. If you never actually went into the, the opera world, you did uh, work in, in musicals for a, a short while. Finian's Rainbow? Well, as a matter of fact, it was through Finian's Rainbow, presented at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles, which is a wonderful theater. Mm-hmm. And that also was the place uh, in rehearsal that I first heard... Um, Bonnie McGee and... Sonny Terry. Sunday, first right. heard right. Sonny Terry. Right. And the the maestro there had us all in this great, huge hall, uh, rehearsal hall. And uh, he said, no one try to do anything because you're not going to be able to do anything. Now, they had they were doing um, the uh, show Finian's Rainbow. Uh, Sonny Terry had done it in New York. 
they uh, and the opening of the show was this harmonica playing. They looked through hundreds of harmonica players, and nobody could do it like Sonny. Mm-hmm. So they just brought Sonny out there. So he said, just listen, because you're not going to be able to move. Well, this magnificent music came out, and he was playing this, uh, uh, the, the harmonica. Oh, well, you don't need to hear that. of like that show we went to San Francisco Sunny Terry folk music right we went to San Francisco a buddy of mine I had gone to junior high school with was introducing me to people who were in folk music it seemed all to come together uh, and I yeah. heard I heard songs and uh, um, once they threw us out of the bars in San Francisco, which was 2 o'clock in the morning, and we would go to somebody's house, and people would sit around playing guitar and singing these songs that had more to do with my life than the my song assignments uh, from the classical, mm-hmm. Oh, swallow, swallow, flying, flying south, fly there and tell her that I know. That had nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And you're what, 17, 18 years old at this point? Probably About 19? that time, I would have been 19. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, Sonny Terry was your introduction to folk music? Well, you know, they had a little bit... That was in the, in the time before song list on radio. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you heard a little bit of Lead Belly, and you heard the, definitely the Weavers, John Jacob Niles. Every once in a while, yeah, you would hear, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know it was a whole area of music that you, you can't even get to the bottom of mm-hmm. yet. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So at that point, you were inspired to pick up a guitar. Well, um, as a hobby. And I was loaned a guitar. It's amazing when you start getting interested in something. You have guides that come around. 
they don't even know their guides. And there was a woman who was going to take the guitar, but then she got married and she had kids and she had a house. And so uh, she couldn't do the guitar. And so she loaned me her guitar that was uh, strung with barbed wire, I'm sure, because it was so <laughs> hard on my fingers. Uh, and she, sewed, she, she showed me C, G, and E, C, F. Uh-huh. Now with C chord and G chord and E, C, F and a capo, uh, honey, I had at least 50 songs. Yeah, I could sure. Do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but on this new album of yours, which is your first album in almost a decade, this album called Blues Everywhere I Go. Uh-huh. You've put down your guitar, and you've gotten a bunch of musicians together, such as your man Seth Farber here. Who is He's with gotten those musicians together. Aren't they magnificent? Yeah. And the, the wonderful Jimmy Vivino. Yeah. Uh, doing a lot of guitar playing. <laughs> and you're just, you're just utilizing one instrument this time out, which is your voice. That's what you're utilizing on this new album. You know, it's very interesting. I'm, I seem to be having more fun. Now, I don't know if it's the age or if it's because I don't have to concentrate on the guitar. I don't know exactly what it is. But there, even with the really serious songs that we do in the blues, there just seems to be a joy that, I am, that I'm having before with the blues. With, no, not with the blues, with the folk music. There were times I was so heavy I made myself sick. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, they just always oh, lighten up, dead be, up. Oh, oh, <laughs> be, because the material I don't know demands that kind of heaviness. I don't. I don't. Maybe because I brought that heaviness from my youth mm. and from my development. This is a, maybe another time in my life when all that heaviness has helped me lighten up. Ah, yeah. yeah. You know. The interesting thing about the blues, of course, is that the blues can deal with the most heavy of emotions and subjects. And yet, as you say, in performing the blues, you can you can be jubilant. You know, you can be light with the music, can't you? Well, the uh, the just doing just someone making the blues or making it up or whatever is the area of, and maybe it isn't just the blues, but within this time and of mine. Uh, and with whatever I've learned from the folk music, to do a blues, to write a blues, to make it up, is to insist upon your own life and living and include your own self in on the mix. You could either lie down and die, Mm -hmm. or you come up with a poem or a song or whatever, and you soothe yourself It doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It gets you through and to the next day. Mm -hmm. Would you take us to that place? Well, uh, what? Which? Do you have a a request here? I I leave it up to you. I leave it up to you. Yeah, thanks. That's like, (laughs) what what do you want for dinner? Uh, You know, you know. Well, do you do you do the title track? Do you do blues everywhere I go? Well, then why don't we do blues everywhere I go? I'm... See, this is why I didn't want to give you a request. I appreciate that. You know... Or Careless Love? Uh, careless Love? Yeah. We got it for you. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
you know, I've, uh, I think in terms of the folk music, this is a, um, a folk song. Love, oh love, oh careless love. Now, when I was growing up, when I was a young adult and could consent to whatever, we only had syphilis and gonorrhea and a few of those things to tend with, right? Yes. And we could get penicillin and get cured. It is desperate these days. It is hard these days, right? And within this song, people think of folk music is precious on the wall, on that little shelf. Now, this woman, she says, once I wore my apron low. Okay, that doesn't give you a clue. But then once she says, now my apron strings won't tie. That means the lady is pregnant. She has been knocked up. And we go into St. Louis woman after this. Man of mine all around town. 
Odetta with Seth Farber on the keyboard. Um, Lead Belly wrote Careless Love. W.C. Handy wrote St. Louis Blues. And you decided to put them together like that. And just because you think the story works well, the two songs work well together in medley I that way? I didn't know that those were the composers of it. Yeah. But I did feel the songs worked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lead Belly wrote Careless Love. And W.C. Handy. St. Louis Blues, of course, Bessie Smith. Uh, has a, a version of it, which was uh, probably the, f- the oh, yeah, first that's big. Oh, yeah, film she made. Isn't she it? she made the the movie version, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a movie version that mm-hmm. took the song and went into a, a whole other place. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe we could pause here and uh, give you a, a little bit of a, a rest and play some Bessie Smith. What do yeah, you think? Is that all right with you? Of course. All right, good. Absolutely. He's got a heart like that. 
right, so there you have the Bessie Smith version. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be here until 2 o'clock in the morning, Odetta, but you're, you're not. We'll let you go home be, <laughs> before that. This is... <laughs> that was one of those great, one of those great off-the-air moments. Oh, boy. All right, let me just jump in here and figure out what happened. I think I was across the room. The Bessie Smith was playing, and the Bessie Smith played out, and I had to, like, leap across the studio which was a very big room, to get back to the microphone. And while I was doing that, we were also conversing, I think this is what happened, about how late I was on. And I said till 2, and she said, well, you know, I'm not staying here until 2 o'clock in the morning. Some, Some kind of remark like that. And we all started laughing, and that's when the mics came back on. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. That's my recollection of it anyhow. And that other person laughing in the background, that's uh, my producer, my longtime producer from those days, from the K-Rock and the WNEW days, Kara Manning. It's always fun when we go back to listen to these old recordings, to hear her laughing in the background or sometimes even chiming in and and, uh, taking part in the conversation, a dear old friend of mine. Okay, well, let's get back now exactly where we were coming out of Bessie Smith and some Michigas and then, boom, back to Odetta. Well, now, long before there was Madonna and long before there was Cher and long before there were all of the famous people with one names and we came to know them just from that one name, there was Odetta. There was Odetta, and she has been singing songs for us for uh, upwards of 50 years it's now. 50 years 50 now. years. Mm-hmm. Starting out um, professionally singing folk music back in uh, the late 40s and into the 50s and playing mm-hmm. guitar and working with people like like Pete Seeger, mm-hmm. who just celebrated a birthday just uh, a yes. couple of weeks ago. Some Something, he's a bit older than you. He's in his 80s some somewhere now it's a there's a sort of a debate as to exactly how old pete is but he just keeps going on like a like a great mighty river do you remember meeting pete for the first time out in los angeles yeah uh and and around the time that i was meeting him um the weavers were going and they came out to los angeles and did a concert and they had heard of um this girl doing playing the guitar and singing folk songs. And back in those days, the grapevine was incredible, was fantastic. As a matter of fact, in growing up in Los Angeles, living there, if there was a great lick hit on the guitar in New York, we heard about it the next day. <laughs> I, n- I never knew how that worked, uh-huh. you know? And this was before email. This, <laughs> <laughs> this was Way before, before yes. email, <laughs> right. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in those days, if you saw someone with a guitar, you knew you knew somebody they knew if you didn't know them. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. It wasn't underground. It just was uh, an area that was not spotlighted. And I, I was I'm meeting uh, Woody Guthrie at that time, back in those days. I was meeting Jack Elliott, Rambling Jack Rambling Elliott. Jack, yeah. 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 As a matter of fact, my mother gave him... Uh, his nickname, Rambling Jack. No. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Uh, whenever Woody Guthrie uh, showed up in uh, Los Angeles, he would go to Topanga Canyon. There was a theater up there. Oh, Will Gear 
Will and Herta Gears mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. place, and there was a theater up there. And um, if what's his name? Oh golly, Jack Ramblin' Jack. No, Woody Guthrie. Woody it was that was a senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> God bless you. I'm okay. I'm, I'm so, getting those more and more these days too, Odetta. I'll tell you. So whenever uh, Guthrie showed up, give it one or two days, and Jack Elliott mm-hmm. will be right behind right, him. Right. Okay. Now my mother had met all my uh, junior high school, high school uh, friends who were in music, and she met the friends who were in folk music, and a knock came at the door. And my mother answered the door, and there was Jack Elliott in a Model A or a Model T. Oh, the passenger door was tied with a string. No, a rope. Excuse me, a rope. And uh, how are you, Mrs. Felius? Hello, Jack. Come on in. Uh, Odette is in the bathroom, taking, take, uh, and she'll be out in a minute. So she comes back through the thing, uh, to, to the hall, and she says, Jack is here. And I go... I get myself dressed and I come out, but before I get out, Jack has wandered back to the bathroom. He's talking through the door to me. Jack never really needed you to have a conversation with him. He could talk uh, right, forever. Right, right, sure. Okay, yeah. he took all the parts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my my mother said, "Lord God, that child rambles," and that's Rambling Jack. That's how he got his name. Not from rambling around the country, following but it Woody. Followed but, yeah, of it followed through. Yeah, of course it followed through. Wow. Yes. Now, you just said Mrs. Phileas. Phileas is the family name. Phileas is the family name. And uh, the reason I go by Odetta was when I was offered the job at the Ten Angel in San Francisco, Peggy Tolkwagen says nobody's going to be able to pronounce Phileas. You know, those are the days when we only pronounce Brown and Smith uh-huh. and whatever. We've, we've right, right. grown since then. Yeah, everybody we, had stage <laughs> names. Yeah. No, no, just plain. Yeah. They didn't want to hear any other name mm-hmm. uh, like Jakovitz mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Right. And as people came into this country, they would change their names sure. because it was too complicated, you know. They're, anyway, so uh, they so uh, Peggy said, "Why don't you just go by Odetta?" And I thought, "Ooh, that's kind of strutty," but I loved the idea, uh-huh. and that's how that's how that yeah, happened. Yeah. And you never looked back on that one. You never <laughs> never changed your mind on that one. <laughs> no? um, tell about this song that you do on the new album called "TB TB Blues." This is uh, thanks to Victoria Spivey, and there is a hospital out in uh, Denver, Colorado. Denver is high and dry, and um, in the days when tuberculosis was ran, running rampant in this country, the doctors would send whoever could afford to go to that hospital, the Jewish hospital that t- took care of uh, tuberculosis patients. Now, evidently, tuberculosis is, is well on its way back, unfortunately, that's these a, days. That's unfathomable yes. to think that. But, yes, uh, that yeah, is. Yeah. Yes, it is. And the hospital then took care of lung patients and whatever, but I have a feeling they're going to have to open their doors again hmm. to uh, people who need to b- just have the dry air and mm-hmm. the rest, yeah, tuberculosis. Yeah. And this is a TB blues, too late, too late, too late.
my way to Denver and I know I must not hesitate So Dedda, with me in the studio tonight, along with Seth Farber, and that's TB Blues, live performance of that song. Victoria Spivey, mm. in addition to being a performer and a songwriter, didn't she have a, a record label as well? Do you know that? 
Seth didn't. Do you wasn't know she, about that? Wasn't she like I don't a, know much an about entrepreneur? Her at all. No, I know that. I guess very, very early on in in his career, Bob Dylan actually recorded as a backup musician with her under one of his famous pseudonyms as Blind Boy Grunt. He was on a Victoria Spivey record in like 1962 or 63, and then I guess she must Isn't have died probably after that. Well, I that. think there was Spivey Records. Yeah, Spivey Records, I believe, was her was her label. Yeah, Blind Boy Grunt was one of Bob Dylan's <laughs> one of his pseudonyms. Now, of course, you know you know Bob. You knew him back in the, in the village Not days. Not very I well. Guess. We we met. Yeah, but, but we were both shy at the time, so really, really didn't get into. You know, to know someone, you really need to be around them and talk and discuss uh-huh. and whatever. But we really didn't, neither one of us, you know, had the th- that kind of push or whatever to get to know each other. Uh-huh. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. you knew him? I met him. I was also a child that was um, the, whether it was Paul Robeson, or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, was... A kid, you, a young one should be seen and not heard. This is what you were taught? Well, that's mm-hmm. what I was taught. Right. And so I sat at the feet of and listened to the adults discussing whatever, but I never really got into knowing anybody. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't including teachers, I, I didn't have that kind of uh, grit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So back in the 60s when you would do these big, huge um, rallies in the the whole civil rights movement and then later in the anti-war movement. You didn't necessarily then socialize with people like Martin Luther King, with the, the, well, the organizers or ringleaders of these events. They had heard uh, the people who were uh, bringing things together had heard of my work in the 50s. And so when they pulled something together... Uh, political or whatever else, they would call upon uh, me and others to come and sing or do music in between the the speakers. I mean, uh, to uh, stop the boredom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. To entertain the crowd a bit. Yeah, sure. sure. To lift it up, to yeah. make the spirits in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Why did you lay off for almost 10 years recording no, I didn't lay it off. It just that there was no record company oh. who could decide what to do with ah, me. Right. And as soon right. as I heard that, I knew to run like hell. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you you are in uh, um, some good company, I guess. There are a lot of people in that boat these days. But well, but- you know, there. Um, I I remember hearing he was a jazz singer and really quite a popular jazz singer, and no one would sign him up because they didn't know what to do with him. Uh, and it's like you get you get some young kids together, and you can you can form them at the way you want them, and 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 hype them the way you you want them. Mm-hmm. But this this jazz singer, I mean, it, it took a while for him to find a a recording company. That's the way the business is, I guess. Well, it's uh, the business has changed a lot and continues well, fortunately, to change. Well, fortunately, you know. uh, Mark Carpentier mm-hmm. and MC Records, uh, they got to us and said. Uh, we're thinking maybe you could do a um, blues record. Mm-hmm. Well, that was right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And he brought it all together. Brought Seth and the musicians together. And, and it's kind of wonderful because at the particular time we were recording, I was not feeling well at all. 
and everything just sort of came in together. There was not a square peg in a round hole anywhere around. It was mm. all just worked out beautifully. And the cover, this cover, on the back of the cover of the CD, yes. uh, that day was 101 degrees, and the photographer's car was overheated, and we came off the Triborough Bridge and into a garage. And a young man who looked at the car and was fixing the car, and I'm sitting there miserable. Uh, there's no fan, no anything around. Uh, they are very helpful to me. They just sit me down on whatever. And this man, uh, once he finished talking with the uh, the uh, mechanic, he came back with his camera to take pictures of me. I said, you got to be kidding. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a smile anywhere in me, nowhere near in me. So he, But he takes pictures, and at some point I guess I grinned or smiled or something. And all over the ceiling were hubcaps. Hubcaps, yeah. <laughs> and whatever. And, and, and the record is called uh, Blues Everywhere I Go, right? Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just, all of it just came together beautifully. I wondered about that. I wondered why you were sitting amidst all these hubcaps in what looked like a garage. And Waiting. in fact, you are in a garage. <laughs> Waiting for exactly. them to fix the car. You do a duet on this album with Dr. John. Yeah. The great Dr. John. Now, are you guys old friends or did you just meet what, for this? Or? No, no, no. We've known each other. Yeah. Uh, we've been meeting for many years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And adore each other. Uh-huh. And who picked the song, Please Send Me Someone to Love? Uh, we were in the studio... And there was, I mentioned, please send me someone to love. I've always wanted to, that, to do that song. And they said, well, that's by... Percy Mayfield. Percy right? Mayfield. He wrote the song. So yeah. they went into the, into the Internet or whatever they go into. With, see, I'm just getting acquainted with the touchtone telephone, so I don't know what's <laughs> all going over there. Uh-huh. They went into that, and they got the words. And uh, it was emailed, I guess, and we did it together. You and Dr. John. Yeah. Sounds like this. <laughs> Heaven, please send to all mankind understanding and peace But if it's not asking too much, please send me someone to love. Please send me someone to love. That's such a sweet moment on that recording on Odetta's album, Blues Everywhere I Go. So, Seth, it was, it was uh, okay um, for you to step back and let Dr. John... Step up to the keyboard on the recording of that one, huh? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was <laughs> the great Dr. John with Odetta. Please send me someone to love. This is a delight having you here tonight. I wonder if I can get you to sing another song or two for us. You got it. Yeah. Would you do, would you do Homeless, the Homeless Blues? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of people who feel that 
The people who are homeless are homeless because they want to be. Then my next question is, so you're working towards getting to be homeless? I'm sure the answer would be no. All kinds of reasons for being homeless. Floods, fires, storms. Anyway, this is um, Backwater Blues and Homeless. Mississippi River. What a fix you put me in. Mississippi River. What a fix you put me in. Stuck down here in the water. Water is coming up to my chin. Well, I had a little sleeper. Didn't even have no door. I had me a sleeper. Didn't even have no door. It was just a two-room shanty. But it was my home, sweet home. My mama, my papa, drowned in Mississippi. You're the blame. My mama and my papa drowned in Mississippi. You're the blame. I can't understand. Hear your name Bessie Smith said it this way. She said, When it rains hard days and the skies turn black at night. Cross the pond 
took him all my clothes, threw him in, and they took me along. Well, it's all in the night, and the wind began to blow. Thunder and the lightning, and the wind began to blow. There was thousands of people had no place to go. Powerful performance that is. What a, I mean, it's like you 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 take on a, you you're an actress when you sing. I think you take on a character. There's some other person that's over there, sitting over there. Do you feel that at all? I mean, do you feel? I discovered I was going to. We have a little time. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> I went to uh, Atlanta, and I got a message. I don't remember what year it was, even. I got a message from um, Mrs. King, Clarita King. She would like to meet up with me. And um, she had a suggestion about my going to a Montessori school and whatever. And that was going to work out very well. I had uh, an afternoon concert at a a community college. And I wore a, a regular length dress, you know, mid-calf, I could not concentrate on what I was doing because my legs were showing. If I cover my legs, either in a skirt or pants, 
I can become within the song the kid or the prisoner or the whatever. And it's 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 called a ham, is what it's called. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt, that, as a matter of fact, that was the time when Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King was shot the day before she was going to take me over to the Montessori. And um, she had a friend call me to say that that friend would take me over to the Montessori school. And, and I mean, for her to have had that kind of presence in in the midst in of that, midst I, of all that is yeah. unbelievable. Wow. Mm-hmm. We began this show tonight with that version of uh, of Dink's Dink's, Dink's blues, blues yeah. you know. And in Dink's blues, he wants to f- fly away like Noah's dove. And in that song, in 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 the homeless blues, if I had wings, the wings of an eagle. I'd fly away from here. It's interesting how that... You know, that's a very interesting line because we we could get uh, really deep into the feeling, if I were an eagle, what is an eagle? What is a plain black crow? A plain black crow is a black... I, I think of it as a woman, a plain black woman who cannot fly because within this system it it doesn't fly. I don't know if that makes any kind of sense to mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. The eagle is one who the, whose society doesn't have its foot on your throat. The eagle can fly. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. We started talking about the changes that you've seen in America mm-hmm. since since your birth in in 1930, and um, and there have been enormous changes in some areas and in other areas. Things remain the same. People still have in their hearts. Unfortunately, uh, a bigotry, uh, an intolerance. We may have laws on the books that point the way towards uh, equal rights and equal opportunity, but we still have a problem with with prejudice in this country and all around the world. People are still taught to hate that which is not like them. Mm -hmm. In all of the years that you've been alive and you've been interacting with people and inspiring people and educating people, have you come to any kind of conclusions about how we can ever change this, how this thing is ever going to turn around and people are going to stop teaching their children these horrible things that they teach them? Well, they, they're passing on what they know, and we can't pass stuff that we don't know onto our children. Um, so it, I, I, I really don't like myself thinking into the negative, but it's, it's going to take quite some work to get people to get away from the fear of the list that you that you had out there. Mm-hmm. You didn't put fear. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are afraid of that difference. And if as they're afraid of it, they have to uh, annihilate that difference. I don't know. The closest solution I have is for a magic wand in my hand, <laughs> and I would I would solve the problem. Yeah, you for would wave, sure. <laughs> wave that wand over us all. Well, you know what? The magic wand in your hand is your extraordinary voice. Thank you and, very and, much. And, and, I, I do thank you for having yeah, me here. Yeah. This has been absolutely delightful. A, 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 a woman such as yourself who has seen so much history and has 
produced so much, so many recordings over the years and has been involved in so many things. We can only begin to scratch the surface in a short visit like this. And every time you open your mouth to sing, I think, why am I even bothering to talk? Because I just, I just want to hear you it's sing. It's called communication. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Uh, thank you for communicating with us tonight. If you would do one more for us, that would be delightful. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us here. My pleasure. And this is a thanks to Sippy Wallace. You got to know how. Well, you can make me do what you want me to, but you got to know how. You can make me sigh. You can make me cry, but you got to know how. You can make me a do like this, and you can make me a do like that. You gotta know how. Now, once a pal of mine stole a man of mine, but I got him back now. The same old song She couldn't keep along Cause she didn't know how Cause when I love my man I make him a holler Me oh my I know how Sure do. <laughs> oh, you sure do. Oh, bless you. Thank uh, you. That's Odetta. 
That is Seth Farber accompanying her tonight. Is this your home, New York? Or are you, uh, yeah. You, know, you were living in Florida for a while? No, no. No. Okay. Los Angeles. Okay. And um, then San Francisco, then Chicago, then I finally found New York. All right. So you've been in New York for a long time. A then, long, huh? long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're amongst us. <laughs> the great Odetta. It's been an honor having you here tonight. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you again. All right. Grandma Jones, he says, your jelly roll is most too old. Well, you hear me talking to ya. Don't bite my tongue. Gonna be a man of mine. You gotta bring with you when you So there you have it. That was me and Odetta. Wasn't she wonderful? Mm-hmm. She was just so special. I'm so glad I got to do radio with her. And I had, I had met her several times over the years. In fact, going all the way back to FMU, the first time we did a big fundraiser in New York was at the Cafe Ogogo, which was on Bleecker Street. Yeah, Bleecker Street, across the street from the bitter end and the other end, um, Cafe Gogo was like... There a, was a place called The Other End? The Other End. Yeah, there was The Bitter End, and then The Other End was next door to it. Were they related? Well, they were sort of, yeah, the guy who managed The Bitter End um, opened The Other End when he couldn't call it The Bitter End anymore. Some some deal like okay. that. I don't know. It's some Something to do with Paul Colby. Um, but there was this place across the street where a lot of great jazz albums were recorded, uh, the Cafe Gogo, and where Lenny Bruce appeared and, and people like that. And we had a big um, fundraising event there where we would go back and forth between bands playing or artists playing at the Cafe Gogo and back and forth to the studio in, in East Orange. And she was playing across the street at the bitter end and she came over one day and she said what's going on here and i said oh odetta hi (laughs) you know and i introduced her i said well we're doing this thing for this radio station you know this little college freeform radio station and she said well nobody told me (laughs) and i said did you want to do so sure what time do you want me here and you know so she was that's what she was like yeah so thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to play that. And thanks for suggesting, Kate, that we go back and, yeah. and listen to that one. And uh, we'll see you next time yep. here on the podcast. Bye.